0: Good morning, I apologize in advance, I've been uh, fighting a cold, actually it wasn't much of a fight, the cold one, and uh, Claudia and I spent the better part of a week in bed trying to overcome the cold and respiratory flu, so it's been a rough week or so, but I know many are struggling with that. Um, For those that were in Sunday School Hour, I, I think you know that Derek is a good friend of mine. I really value and appreciate him. That's why I pick on him. And and actually, truth be known, you can't go wrong with any of the classes. As I'm sure you know, all four of the uh, facilitators are are going to do a fabulous job. Mine will probably be best, but I'm just kidding. Um, I'm going to put a shameless plug in for our Do Something event Tuesday, April 7th. If it's something you were thinking about, our spring banquet, if you were thinking about signing up, I'll let you know that we're just about at capacity. And probably by Wednesday, we'll have to cut off any registrations. So if something you wanted to attend, you may want to go online today, tomorrow, and register um, or call the factory. But we'd love to have you there to see what God is doing in our community through the factory, through the Together Initiative, and uh, hear about some exciting things we have for the future. I'm going to read. You can just follow along as I read from Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11, verses 1 through 11. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you doing this? Tell him, The Lord needs it, and we'll send it back here shortly. They went and found a colt outside in the street, tied it a doorway, and as they untied it, some people were standing there asked, What are you doing, untying that colt? They answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches which had been cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our Father David Hosanna in the highest, Jesus entered Jerusalem and went to the temple. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for this morning, for the time we can be together and just worship you in song and and fellowship with you in, in the Sunday school hour and fellowship with one another. And thank you, God, that what brings us together this morning is you ask that you would instruct our, our heads and our hearts and that you would uh, speak to us this morning, that your Holy Spirit would work in my life and the lives of each one here this morning, that we'd be encouraged yet, yet uh, motivated to go out and represent you this week. In Jesus' name, amen. That's my granddaughter, by the way. She's, she's, she told me she's going to encourage me all through the talk here this morning. You ever had your hopes dashed, or a, a single moment where everything seemed like it was changing in an instant? For me, I've had many of those. Three that stick in my mind. One is when I was 12 years old, and my mom came home from <clears throat> we came home from school. And my mom said to me and my two sisters, I had another sister and a brother, and she said, um, "Take whatever you want. We're leaving." And that day she left my father and we traveled from Washington, D.C. area up to the state of Maine. That that moment um, truly changed the whole course of my life. Perhaps another one of those, those critical moments when everything seemed to change drastically was when my wife and I witnessed our son, our oldest son, being taken away in handcuffs at the courthouse knowing that, that he would never be free, at um, least in our lifetime and knowing that the whole, our whole relationship with him was going to change uh, for the rest of our days on this earth. The third one would, would have been two years ago, and you know how when, when September 11th happened, you know exactly where you were, and you remember when you saw it on the news or somebody called you about the uh, the Twin Towers. Um, for me, another one of those those moments etched in my mind was when I was at the Youth Center on a Thursday night. This, it would have been two years ago this uh, A week this past Thursday and I got the phone call from the doctor letting me know that my dad was a very sick man and that he had maybe a month maybe three months left to live and telling us that there's nothing they could do about it um, that we should just um, gather family around and spend these days together and three weeks three weeks to that day he passed away Um, that day that experience just was was one of those moments that I replay over and over and over again had a profound impact on me. And I'm convinced, I'm convinced that these moments, and, and maybe while I was sharing three, you thought of one or, or more. I'm convinced that at these moments, it reveals our true motives as to why we believe in God. You see, if we'd be honest, most of us worship God selfishly. Our view of God is partly based on what we want from him. We say things like, Lord, please help me find my keys. We say things like, boy, the Lord was sure good to us. Or we might have said, God is so good when we receive good news about something. Or you hear people say, just thank the good Lord. Not that these phrases are bad, and there's nothing wrong with saying those. Certainly we are to praise God and thank God when good things happen. But I wonder if sometimes they actually reveal a God... um, a view of God that is very self-centered, a faith that says God's role is to get me out of a bind. Think about that for a moment. Sometimes I wonder if what we view about God is that he's some sort of superhero, you know, in the heavens, like Superman. And when there's a crisis, you know, we just cry out to God, and and he zooms down, and he solves the problem. And then we say, Isn't God a wonderful God? Isn't God good? Maybe you've never done what I've done. But I've actually prayed and said, God, I need to find this book. I need to find this check. I need to find these keys. If I've ever done anything that's made you happy, I need you to find them for me. You know, maybe it's just me, but I prayed that. And as if... If I've done something good, then God's up in heaven. He's like, okay, uh-oh, Chuck, I'm going to jump into my, you know, phone booth, and I'm going to put on my superhero off, and I'm going to swoop down and, and point Chuck's hand right to the keys, and, and then he's had them. Now, if you would ask me, do I believe that that's who God is, I would say no. But sometimes I think maybe my actions or the words that I use might demonstrate that I think that God is some kind of superhero that is there to come through for me when I need him the most. But what do we do when God doesn't come through for us? One of the most, um, <clears throat> one of the most difficult things. This is going to sound funny to you because I just told you about my dad passing away, and my son in prison, and my mom leaving my father. Um, one of the most profound experiences for me was when I lost my Bible. The other things I could explain, but when I lost my Bible, I had a really difficult time with that. You see, I bought this Bible with my own money when I was 16 years old. This Bible had notes in there of every sermon I've ever preached. Every study I've ever given was in the margins of this Bible. I had a letter from my dad when I decided that God was calling me into full-time service. My, I, my dad wrote a, I wrote in my Bible that experience, and my dad wrote a note to me. In the back, I had notes for my kids when I would pass away that they could read those. I mean, for 30-some years, I had this book, and somebody broke into my car and stole it. And I just couldn't wrap my head around that. I prayed and had people pray that God would just have that person, whoever stole it, drop it back off. I started hearing stories about people that people started saying to me, you know, somebody took their Bible, and then 20 years later, they brought it back and gave it to them and said, I got saved through this Bible. And i got to be honest with you, I was thinking, I don't want someone to get saved through my Bible. I want my Bible. And it was just, it, it, was, it, it was, outside of my family and my relation with God, my most treasured possession. And I remember saying to God, I'm having a hard time with this one, because you say we're supposed to study your word. We're say, You say we're supposed to read it, and yet you, you took it from me. And I asked you to give it back, and you didn't. And i got to tell you, I'll be honest with you, I went about three months without reading my Bible because I thought, if I can't read this one, I'm not reading any. <clears throat> and there are those times, though, whether it's losing your Bible, which might sound trite to some people, but it, was, it made a huge impact on me, or these other things I mentioned. When we go through these kind of difficulties and God doesn't come through from our perspective, it reveals... Motive as to why we even believe in God. And as we look at this passage on the triumphal entry, as today being Palm Sunday, we encounter three groups of people who had three very different views of God. We'll see that those that were changed by Jesus, they had seen his, his miracles, and they truly were believers. They were changed by Jesus. Then there were those who were just intrigued by Jesus, they had heard of the miracles. Uh, They had heard about the raising of Lazarus from the dead, and they were coming to Jerusalem for the Passover, and they were incredibly curious as to who this Jesus was. And then there were those that were threatened by Jesus, the Pharisees, who had an agenda, and they saw Jesus' direct opposition to what they wanted to accomplish. On the surface, if you just looked at them, it might be difficult to figure out which ones were true believers and which ones were curious, because they were all involved in the same activity. But just like in my life, there's been those moments, those defining moments that reveal my motive for following God, and just like in your life, there may have been those, and there will be more, in this passage we see one moment in time, on that Palm Sunday, over 2,000 years ago, where every single person's motive for following Jesus was exposed. Like to do is the triumphal entry story is mentioned in all four gospels. I read from Mark, Um, but I want to kind of walk you through some of the timeline of what is taking place. Six days before the pastor, sorry, before the he's the pastor. Six days before the Passover, um, Jesus goes to the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, and there's a there's a party to honor him for raising Lazarus from the dead. And many people, Bethany being about two miles away from Jerusalem, many people that were gathering into the area for the Passover had heard that Jesus was there, and they were very intrigued. They wanted to see Jesus, but they also wanted to meet Lazarus. I mean, come on. The guy was raised from the dead. And so there were people that were, that were in Jerusalem that headed their way out to Bethany to kind of see what was going on. This bothered the Pharisees, by the way, it made them angry, so they had already decided to kill Jesus. And then they decided, you know what? We're going to kill Lazarus as well. We're going to, we're going to take both of them down because um, this is getting out of hand from their perspective. So the next day, that would have been Saturday that they had the big party. The next day on Sunday, what we call Palm Sunday, Jesus heads into Jerusalem. Along the way in Bethpage, he tells the disciples to go ahead of him and get a donkey, and they get a donkey, and they bring it out to him, and he rides on the donkey. Um, some of those that were in Bethany that when they knew Jesus was heading to Jerusalem, they went ahead and told the people in Jerusalem, hey, he's coming. Jesus is coming. And so you have people that are, that are riding, that are heading with Jesus from Bethany to Jerusalem. You have people that are coming out from Jerusalem to meet him. And um, everybody was shouting. I just read the passage. But, but the whole context there, we're not going to unpack that, was a demonstration of Jesus being the Messiah. They truly believed it. And they were quoting some of the Old Testament passages and calling him the king of Israel. Some say that riding on a donkey was, was symbolic of, of, of Solomon, David's son, you know, riding on a donkey. And, but it was no doubt all the things that they were doing was demonstrating that they believed that Jesus was royalty. And he was going to be set up as their king, as their Messiah to free them from the Romans. There was so much noise that it made the Pharisees mad and they went up to Jesus and I don't know at what point this happened. I can see a, quite a you know, drama scene and, um, where he's walking and they stand and they say, will you tell these people to be quiet, please? It wasn't quite that nice. And Jesus said, well, if they don't cry out, then the, the rocks are going to cry out. And then at some moment, Jesus looks over the city as he's heading down to Jerusalem and he weeps for it, realizing what is going to take place. And then Jesus enters the city and then the next day, by the way, he, come, he, he goes home to Bethany, he comes back, and you know, this may have heard a story where he's hungry, and there's no figs in the fig tree, so he curses the fig tree, and then he goes back into Jerusalem, and then you know the story where he's angry, and he um, clears the temple with the money changers. Five days later, he's crucified. And as I, I looked at this passage, I thought to myself, what changed from Sunday where they're proclaiming, Hosanna, he's the, this is the king of Israel, and they, they want Jesus to be the Messiah, and everybody is gathering around him. To five days later, when they're yelling, crucify him, crucify him. Uh, just to show this, I, wanna, I want you to read two verses with me. If you can turn over to John chapter 12. John chapter 12, verses 17 to 20. This gives you a picture kind of of how many people were gathered and what this atmosphere was like. Now the crowd, verse 17 of John 12, Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had been given this miraculous sign, went out to meet him. And so the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. There were so many people, some say in Jesus' day, because of the Passover, there might have been four or five times the people that normally lived in a city. But for the Pharisees, what looked like is the whole world is following him. The euphoria of everybody wanting to be a part of of this Messiah. But look with me at John 19. John chapter 19, verses 14 and 15. Just five days later. John 19, verse 14. It was the day of preparation of Passover week, about the sixth hour. Here is your king, Pilate said to the Jews. Now you would have thought they would have said, yes, yes, here's our king. They just proclaimed him king five days ago. But they shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king, Pilate asked. We have no king but Caesar, the chief priest, answered. not that amazing? I look at that and I think to myself, what changed? What changed in those five days from them saying, put down our clothes and put down the palms and put down the branches because our king is coming through to we have no king but Caesar, kill him. I think that defining moment, that critical moment, And their lives happened back in Mark chapter 11, verse 11. Let's look at it again together, if you can flip back to Mark. Mark chapter 11, verse 11. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went to the temple. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. You see what happened? Thousands and thousands of people were descended, were coming out from Jerusalem, were coming from Bethany, laying everything down on the road, Jesus walking through in a donkey. They're quoting the Old Testament. They have come to the conclusion that Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah. And they're ready for him to ride in Jerusalem and to overthrow the Roman government, to provide for them relief. They were looking for miracles. They were looking for the Messiah. And what does Jesus do? See, just like when my son went to prison and I prayed, God, please don't send him to prison. And he did. When I got that phone call and I thought, can this truly be, is my dad really dying? It was very sudden when I lost my Bible and I begged God. I said, God, I mean, this isn't even about me. This is your word. And he didn't do anything. The funny moments and the motive of why I believe in God, follow Jesus. Everybody's excited. And what does Jesus do? Look at it. What does he do? He does nothing. He didn't answer their prayer. He didn't set himself up as king. He didn't start a military campaign. He walks into the temple. He looks around, looks at his watch, by the way, the new Apple watch is coming out soon. Jesus would have had one of those. <clears throat> he looks at his watch. That was for Derek, by the way, Derek. That was for you. And he says, it's getting late. Let's go back to Lazarus' house. Can you imagine the disappointment in all the Jews? They're looking for something big, something grandiose, something that says, yeah, I'm a, I got a piece of the action. This guy, this Messiah is about to set himself as king and I got a front seat view. And he goes home. And he does nothing. For those who were in need of a better life, a solution or a miracle, Jesus as the Messiah was exactly what they needed. But when they realized the next that night, the next day, next couple days, this guy is no Messiah. In fact, this guy is going to be killed. This guy is standing in trial. This guy, must, he must be a bad guy. He must have done something wrong. I'm, I'm staying away from that. I mean, you know, my, my mama taught me not to hang out with people that are like this. And so five days later, when they realized that the Jesus, they realized that what they thought was Jesus wasn't truly who he was, they said crucify him. my mom leaving my dad, my son being card off to prison, my dad passing away from cancer, all had a profound impact on my life. They also did something else. They exposed to me and to others how I view God. They exposed the motive for my faith in God. With each one of these things, I had a reality check. This God that I was following He didn't come through as I had planned. What was I going to do? I meet people all the time who are at these crossroads where they say, I thought God was going to do this, but he didn't. And I think that when we are faced with this crisis, we will respond in one of two ways. We will say that I don't want any part of him. And there's two, by the way, that looks two different ways. There's the very overt way that says, I don't want any part of him. I don't believe in God. I renounce my faith, and, and I, maybe I'm atheist, maybe I'm agnostic or whatever, but I just don't believe in that, that stuff. It didn't work for me. I tried. It didn't work. And then there's more of the, the passive style that says I still come to church. I still pray. I still read my Bible. But honestly, God's forgotten me because he wasn't there for me. And so I may not reject it all, but I live my life with the idea that I'm just kind of part of a religious system now because Jesus didn't hear my prayer. And some of you have given up praying, or you've given up that God truly loves you and cares about you. Like me, you might have said, God, if I've ever done anything good in your eyes, will you do this for me? And when he didn't, you thought, well, I guess I've not done anything good right? I mean, that's the answer. I guess, I guess God's not pleased with me. And if that's how you feel, you need to go to Derek's Sunday school class. Huh? Huh? You like that, right? There, did I, did I, did I cover everything? Good. <clears throat> For me, I decided that I was going to believe in Jesus, that I was going to follow him, that regardless of whether he answered my prayers from my perspective, that he was indeed God and that he wanted me to trust him and obey him. And that's what I was going to do. And I've charted a course for my life, and I've said to God, whatever you do to me, whatever happens, I will follow after you because I want to end well. How about you? Have you had those critical moments where everything changes in an instant. Maybe it's been the death of a loved one. Maybe it's been a bad relationship with a spouse or a child. Maybe it's been a work situation. Maybe it's been what seems paid to other people for you was huge, like losing your Bible or having your car break down the side of the road. I don't know. Have you ever had those critical moments? My guess is we have. My guess is we'll have more. And so the question for us this morning is, do we follow God because he's our superhero? Or do we follow God because he's our savior? In the next five days, you can decide. Because I believe that in order to go from God being your superhero to God being your savior, there has to be a crucifixion which means in order for us to go from God is a, does all these good things for me, and that's why he's on my team, and that's why I follow him. But there has to be a moment where our faith is tested. The motive for following God is tested, and that's those moments of crisis. And if we stand strong like the disciples, they didn't understand. John says that they really didn't understand until he was glorified. But they didn't need to understand because they believed in him and they followed him. So the next five days, I'm going to ask you to do some evaluation. I'm going to ask you to kind of replay the events of your life, those critical moments, and decide, how did I respond? Did I walk away from God overtly? Or did I walk away from God secretly? Or did I say, you know what, God? It didn't come out like I had planned, but I will follow after you. Tim and I, Last week, went to visit Mary in the hospital. <clears throat> and uh, Dwight and Luann and Elvin were there. And, <clears throat> excuse me, there was a moment there when I'm sitting there thinking, man, I, I think I said to Tim, we got in the car, you, you think we'll, we'll see her again. She didn't look well, yet she was smiling. And I, she, she was weak and couldn't say much. And I don't hear well anyway, so I couldn't hear much what she was saying, but I did hear these three words. She looked up at everybody, and she said, God is good. And I thought to myself, there's a woman who's ending well. I think I heard her say she wanted to make sure her children and her grandchildren followed after God. She also said there's things she didn't get to do yet that she wanted to do. <clears throat> but there's a woman whose cancer has taken over her body, and she's laying there in the hospital bed while everybody else is crying. She looks up, and she smiles, and she says, God is good. And I want to encourage you with that. Whatever you are facing or have faced or will face, those critical moments When you will have to question, why do I even believe in God? What is my motivation? That you hold on, as Mary did, as I have done, as the disciples did, as many others have done, and say, He's not my superhero. He's my Savior. And I trust in Him. As you walk through this week, as we get to the point where Friday will remember what we call Good Friday. But it was a bad day for a lot of people because their hopes and dreams were nailed to a cross and they had no more hope because what they thought, what they wanted, didn't happen. And so they walked away. Some of them even turned in anger. Some of them were excited with glee that it was finally over. But for others, they held on. And three days later, Jesus rose from the grave and truly became our Savior. And what he promises is, I'm not going to answer everything as you want, but if you trust me, I know what I'm doing. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for placing me in situations where I was forced to think about why I truly followed you. And thank you, God, that I was able to say, God, I will obey you. I will trust you and I will obey you no matter what comes my way. Like the disciples, God, I may not understand, but I believe in you. It's more than just being intrigued, God. I truly believe in you. So many of my friends in this room, God, truly believe in you. And it's those crises, it's those moments where everything changes, those moments when our, <clears throat> our ideals and our, our dreams and our, our what we want happen, when it, none of it happens, God. As when we just continue to trust those moments that change everything I pray are moments when we decide to truly follow you God I pray as we think through this week that whatever we go through that we would hold on as your son did and enduring the cross so that we can live and have life once he was resurrected